interview, we will listen to Rafael Archondo, Bolivian journalist who lives in Mexico since 2015. He has written a biography of Hernán Siles Suazo, who was president of Bolivia between 1956 and 1960, and between 1982 and 1985, and he was also one of the most important leaders of the MNR. By looking at Siles' biography, the book looks at almost 80 years of Bolivia's political history. The book was co-written with Isabel Siles, the youngest daughter of President Hernán Siles Suazo. Critical of the historiography of the MNR, the goal of this book is to restore the centrality of the MNR in Bolivian politics since the 1940s. Archondo argues that there has been a tendency to examine MNR's ideology throughout the eyes of the Cold War, for example, by classifying the party as Nazi in the 1940s or as communist in the 1950s. There has been also a tendency, particularly from the left, he argues, to look the accomplishments of the Bolivian Revolution throughout the lenses of the Cuban Revolution that took place in 1959, of course, and characterize then the Bolivian Revolution as incomplete. Thus, Archondo reassesses the importance of understanding the MNR and the Bolivian Revolution in its own terms. Rafa, thank you so much for coming to the program. I wonder if you can talk about how did this project begin? Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you for, for the interview. Uh, this was uh, originally a family project, you know, families gathering around the table and, and somebody is suggesting, oh, why why don't tell we about the story of, of, of our, our father or of, of our grandfather? It works at the, at the beginning. The youngest uh, daughter of Nancy Lesuazo, Isabel uh, Siles, came to the idea of writing a biography of uh, her father. And in this process, he was reading a lot of uh, articles of books about the National Revolution. And she read a, a, an article uh, which I, I wrote about the last process of, of recovery of, of democracy in Bolivia. And I was, of course, uh, writing about Siles Suazo also. And so she came to the idea to invite me to be part of this project. That was originally the, the starting point of the book. And as I said, it was a family project. And I tried to convert this family project in an academic work. So because I, I am part of, of, of the university, I am uh, doing a lot, uh, not only as a journalist, but also as a scholar. I thought it was a great opportunity to make this biography, to add to this biography uh, another value. And I think the value uh, could be a, a historical approach of Silesuazo as a public person in Bolivia. And 
maybe the possibility to revisit some issues, some traditional and classical issues of the of the national revolution. And I think I really uh, made an effort to transform this family project in another in a different project. And I think with Isabel, we we really have a, a lot of conversations, a lot of emails, a lot of common readings. And I think we, we really merge to a common perspective as a book. And I think this is a good mixture of family interest and family materials and old pictures of the family and the, the, the purpose of, of doing a, a different work, in this case, an academic and historical work. So I wonder if you can talk about the main contributions of the book. Okay, I think the main contribution of the books are seven. <laughs> Uh, the first one is to, to say clearly that the Nationalist Party in Bolivia, the MNR, was not a fascist or a Nazi uh, or a Marxist party. It was a, a creation by itself. I think uh, the, the MNR was really an original creation of Bolivian politicians after the, the Chaco War. And... Um, I think there's, there are no labels, no right labels to identify and define this party. I think the MNR is really a different trend in the Bolivian uh, politics. And of course, MNR has a lot of, of linkages with APRA in Peru, with Peronism in, in Argentina, of course. But I think it was, uh, in, some, in some sense, an original um, organization in its aims and its ideology. I think this is the first uh, finding, and this is based on the reading of the whole uh, Basis and Principios document of the MNR, uh, which was drafted in 1942. This document is, uh, is about uh, 54 pages, but normally in Bolivia, this document was circulated only uh, by the by a segment of the eight final pages. Mm -hmm. So my perspective is that if you read the whole document, you will have another uh, idea of the party and of the ideas uh, of the party. This is the first finding. The other one is that the MNR was really closely uh, linked and in, in a big ally of the armed forces in Bolivia, of the military. The alliance between the MNR and the many uh, parts of the of the army in Bolivia was very consolidated in the whole time. This is the second. And additionally, there was also an alliance between MNR and the and, and the U.S. government, the State Department. I think uh, after 1943, by the Villarreal government, there was really a close relationship between MNR and the American governments in, in general, uh, especially with Eisenhower, the government of, of Eisenhower, uh, until the Kennedy administration, uh, which was very close to Pakistan. So, hmm? uh, the third finding I think is that the MNR was an electoral force, a very big and huge electoral force. This party was winning elections from 1943 to 1951, when, uh, of course, we know MNR has this great victory, yeah? 
of, of 1951. Uh, after that came the revolution. And I think this is very important because no other party, no peer, no core, no uh, phalange, has this huge electoral power, this capacity of winning election. I think this is very remarkable in this case. But the first thing that I think the, the, the book contributes is that in the revolution, in the uprising of the 9th uh, April uh, 1952, there was no really difference between the party, the Nationalist Party, the MNR, and the, the groups of citizens, of miners, of workers, which were fighting in those three days. I think the a tendency, a trend in, in, in Bolivian history was to, to split the party and the workers who were fighting at this day. And this is, I think, a wrong assertion. Um, the fifth is that the, the army, the Bolivian army, was not annihilated, was not destroyed by the revolution at all. <clears throat> the army, the Bolivian army, was, has a continuity after the revolution and in the uh, process of the national revolution itself. This is my perception. Marxist uh, uh, historians uh, are saying still now that the army was destroyed by Birth the revolution. Through. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I think this is a wrong uh, assumption also. Um, the other one is that the MNR, the party, the Nationalist Party, was united until 1971. This is the other surprise. Th that was a surprise for me as a journalist who was reading a lot about <laughs> this, this story. Uh, we, we know now that Siles and Pasis Tensoro were united in Lima in the year 1970. And in 1971, uh, it was re the first really division of the, of the party. <clears throat> the former ones, Lechin or Guevara, uh, I think this is this this were not divisions uh, in, in strict terms. The real division of the of the party was 1971 when Silas Suazo and Pasis really has a difference, a huge difference regarding the Banzer coup and the, the, the process of the dictatorship of Banzer in 1971. When Pasis <coughs> signed an alliance with Banzer and Silas Suazo went into exile right, to Chile and Argentina and after that to Venezuela. And I think this is very important because uh, normally <clears throat> many historians are saying that, for example, the split was 1964 mm -hmm. by Barrientos coup. And this is not uh, real. So this, this was, of course, a, a, a distance between Siles and Pasistensoro and it, it year 1964. But after that, it was a, it, it was a clear unification, a very soon unification of the party after the, the coup uh, of November 1964. Uh, and, the, and the last one, I think, is that Silas Suazo is a consistent, um, consistent force for democracy among the, the process of the social revolution. And after that, uh, he is really the leader of a with within the party, 
which is uh, pledging for democracy all the time. For example, Silas was not really, uh, was not agreeing about the coup uh, in the year 1943 by Villarreal. Mm -hmm. He was against this coup. This is a, a key uh, information, I think. And of course, he was participating in the process, but he was not part of the cabinet. And he was always criticizing the possibility or, or the, the idea of having his party, the MNR, uh, related to some conspiracy activities and some, uh, some alliance with uh, military forces were, were against democracy. He was, for example, in some cases, uh, saying that he he's going to resign to the party, he's going to quit the party, if uh, his party is really involved in those activities. Of course, after that, Silas was part of the conspiracy in the year 1952, of course. But it was because the MNR was the winning party in the former elections. So she was, in this case, conspiring, conspiring sorry, uh, in order to put the party which has won the election a year before in power. So that was also a, a sequence, a clear sequence of, of fighting for the democratic methods in the fight or in the struggle of the party. So I think this, those seven are the, the main findings of the book. Thank you, Rafael. I guess the natural question is how those contributions are dialoguing with previous literature, how the, as your book rethinking previous literature and previous assessments about the revolution? Oh yes, this is a very important question because normally we are repeating the, 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 the famous sentence of Winston Churchill that the history is written by the victors. Normally we are saying that because we think that if, the, if a force is winning the historical process, its perspective will, of course, uh, dominate the history writing after that. But in the case of the MNR in Bolivia, I think this is the contrary. The history of the revolution was written not by the nationalists, was written by the Marxists, uh, authors, and, for, and by the Qatarist uh, authors, you know, uh, meaning this indigenous perspective of, of history in, in the case of Bolivia, um, in what, that was named by Katari, by Tupac Katari or Tomas Katari in the case of, of Potosí. So I think the history of the national revolution was written by, by the enemies of the party, of the nationalist party. And because they are trying to take a distance uh, with the legacy of the MNR in general, they are writing a history which tell us that the, the MNR was not the real actor, the real force in, in all this process, and that MNR was in, in, in fact um, an opportunist force who was just um, taking advantage of what people have done in Bolivia in, in, in regard, regarding the revolution. So this is a theory that, that, said, that said that MNR was one among a lot of actors during the revolution. My perspective is that this is not accurate, that MNR has, as I said before, 
a strong alliance with the important sectors or segments of the armed forces, the army, but also a strong alliance with the labor unions, which were organized in the, in the period of Villarreal, uh, having MNR in power. Uh, and this double alliance between military forces and labor unions, miners, workers, and after that, and after the agrarian reform peasants, uh, that, that was uh, this big alliance, social alliance, where the party was, of course, the center of what was done in the government palace. <laughs> yeah? This is not uh, less important than the others, uh, I think. That conducted for me to, to say that the manager was not one uh, actor among others. It was the key actor in this process, I think. And we are trying to, with the book, with all those information that we collected, to say that. I think this is an important part of the debate. In this sense, we are contradicting the idea of dual power taught by Zabaleta and the idea of an uncompleted revolution of Malloy. I think those, those uh, both theories are maybe in this case uh, challenged by, by, by our book. I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about the sources, because I think you, you had the chance to look at probably sources that were not available to other historians because of this family connection. So I wonder if you can talk about that. In the case of Silas Suazo, we don't have a huge written materials because Silas Suazo was not a, who was a writer in this case. That is, that is, that is the difference between Silas Suazo and Paz Estensor and Guevara especially. I think Silesuaso and Lechink were the activists of the party, were the practical people, the men who were in the in the struggle, uh, and they were not elaborating anything about ideology, perceptions, or concepts about the revolution and so on. So it was difficult to find writings of of Silesuaso itself. So we research, especially in, in newspapers, uh, but also. <laughs> in the sources of, of some authors which are against Silesuaso. This is a, a, a strange thing because Silesuaso was, in the common sense, a good person. He was a good friend. He had a lot of relationships with everybody, uh, even with the opposition to the government. He was considered, in this case, the, the right wing of the party because he was uh, really having a good relationships with Falange, with other important opponents of, of the party. But it, at the same time, especially the left wing of the, of the party and may, maybe many of the authors who were very linked to Pasistan Soro, have written a lot of books against Silesuaso. So <laughs> we read these books trying to figure out if they are really um, contributing to the debate with facts, with solid facts, or they are just doing a campaign against Silesuas. <laughs> and so I think this, this was the main source, for example, Luis Antesanergueta was one of, of Silas' enemies, and he collected a lot of information what, what, which we find uh, are fake, 
in many cases. And this was also a, a source for us in this case. Mm -hmm. But the main uh, contribution is to, to follow Silas thoughts through this 80 years of his life. Uh, how was he thinking every moment of the process? And of course, we, we have read uh, his speeches as president, as vice president. This was the, the main source of, of this process of following his thoughts. And, and then there we find this consistency, this continuity of his thoughts about democracy all the time. From the beginning, as a child, as a young person, uh, confronted by the fact that his father was president of Bolivia and how the violence is operating in our country. And, and from this beginning, when he really said violence is not the way for politics, and how <laughs> in a revolutionary party, he could really be consequent with this idea until it's last days in Montevideo. I think this is, this is very interesting to read the history through an individual. So this book came out 2022 when we actually commemorate the 70 years of the revolution. And I wonder if you want to talk a little bit about how do you see the legacies of a revolution that took place 70 years ago Considering that so much has passed, as as you as you mentioned, Catarismo, but also the rise of the mass. So how do you see the legacies of the MNR at this point? I think in the in our days, the legacies are more clear than in the past. Because in the past, especially the historians who, who wrote about the revolution were influenced by the Cuban Revolution. And in many senses, all the nationalist revolutions, the nationalist revolutions in our continent, in Latin America, were in, in certain sense, were feeling uh, not so comfortable with the Cuban revolution because the Cuban revolution has an appearance of a more advanced process, a more radical process. Many of these historians thought that the Cuban revolution was a completed revolution because it came to the to so, towards socialism. And that was the way in the 60s, in the 70s, in the, in the 80s. And, and that's because Bolivian revolution, the Bolivian revolution, the Mexican revolution, and maybe the revolution in Guatemala were seen as less important than the Cuban revolution. And now we know what the Cuban revolution is. We, we are seeing the results of the Cuban revolution. And in this case, I, I think that in this century, in the 21 century, and especially after 70 years of the, of the Bolivian revolution, we can, we can maybe say now without fear <laughs> that, that the national revolution in Bolivia was a completed one because it has a clear purposes and many of these purposes, the majority of these purposes, were accomplished, I think, because the National Revolution wanted to liberate peasants of oppression uh, by the landowners. And this was a completed goal. This goal was accomplished. So I think, for example, in, 
just mentioning one example, we can see that uh, clearly. And after that, I think the idea of a universal right to vote, for example, in the case of the National Revolution of Bolivia, is now uh, clearly an accomplishment because we have a democracy uh, which uh, Cubans are dreaming about. <laughs> they are wishing maybe to have that kind of, of liberties, of pluralism, and, and so on. And so I think in this century we can we can see clearly without a, without a lot of debate that the, these nationalist revolutions from the first half of the 20th century were maybe more ambitious and more adapted to our presence than the Cuban revolution who was a who, who has converted in a part of the Cold War. And the Cold War is over, but democracy is still there. Rafo, it was a pleasure to have you in the program. Thank you so much again for taking the time to do this. Thank you, Carmen.